0: Hello and welcome back to Resurrections, and Adam Warlock podcast. This is episode 8, and I am Al Sedano. And I am Brian Zeno of the Podwitz podcast. Yes, I have a guest host with me this episode, so you're not stuck listening to just me. No, you're stuck listening to just the two of us. (laughs) Just the two of us.
1: You and I. Okay.
0: Anyway, not singing. um, (laughs) In this episode, we're going to start the next chapter of Adam's life. We are done now with the Lee Kirby era. They do not touch the character anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I think we're also done, I'd say, with the Silver Age. Yeah, pretty much. We, we have entered the Bronze Age, Yes,
1: especially appropriate given Adam Warlock's skin.
0: Yes. And this is the beginning of the Roy Thomas Kane run, although mm-hmm. they don't both stay on it fully. But we're just going to call it their run of Warlock, which consists of Marvel Premiere 1 and 2... Warlock one through eight, mm-hmm. and Incredible Hulk. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but it's two, one seventy six through one seventy eight. Okay, and that is this next run of Adam Warlock, and then after that comes the Jim Starlin era, which is what everyone knows, of course. Right, but we're going to do this, I think, lesser known version of him because not many people pay attention to this version anymore.
1: No, that's true. That That's true. I thought this was where he originated, but uh, it wasn't until later on that I uh, learned about the whole him, Beehive, backstory. Um, I was really under the impression that Adam Warlock had
0: been born, as it were, like entirely in, in Marvel the Premiere number one. And yeah, he appeared beforehand. So we're going to go real quick. I'm going to give you the synopsis of what happened to this issue, and then me and Brian will be back to talk about our thoughts of this uh Bit of 70s Bronze Age goodness. Yes. And craziness. There's <laughs> a little bit of both. Marvel premiere number one, and men shall call him Warlock. Has a cover date of April 1972 and will sold on or about November 23rd, 1971, with a cover price of 20 cents. Written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Gil Kane, inked by Dan Atkins, lettered by Sam Rosen. The cover art is by Gil Kane and Dan Adkins. This issue starts with an asteroid floating in space around Mars. As we get closer to it, we can see a small antenna sticking out of one side, and then we are shown a cross-section of the inside. Inside the asteroid is a secret base. This base belongs to the High Evolutionary. Inside, the High Evolutionary is recording an audio journal detailing his recent adventures and his current project. He first talks about his creation of the New Men, which are animals he evolved to be part animal, part human. The last one he evolved was a wolf, but there was an accident and the wolf was evolved far beyond his intentions. This hateful creature would become known as the Man-Beast. The Man-Beast created his own army of evil new men, but were defeated with the aid of Thor. They were then banished from Earth by the High Evolutionary to the far-off Dramisian galaxy. Not a real galaxy, by the way. Feeling that even his loyal new men posed a threat to mankind, the high evolutionary and his new men left Earth as well. However, even his loyal new men eventually turned against the high evolutionary as well. Somehow, the Hulk had ended up on the same planet they were on. See tales 294 through 96. The high evolutionary thought the Hulk could help him, but he turned back to Bruce Banner at the worst possible time. They were attacked, and Banner turned into the Hulk only after the high evolutionary was mortally wounded. Before he died, the High Evolutionary removed his armor and put himself in a chamber he had planned to use on Bruce Banner. This chamber was supposed to evolve a human into what they would become in a million centuries. It changed him into an ethereal immortal, and after easily defeating the attacking new men, he vanished to become one with the cosmos. Eventually, the bit of humanity that was still in him became lonely, and he returned to physical form. His flashback is interrupted by his final remaining new man, Sir Ram, who informs him that he is needed. Outside of their base, Sir Ram has found what appears to be a large cocoon. We, of course, know that this is him's cocoon. Curious, the High Evolutionary has a broad inside and uses psych probes to see what and whom is inside. He comes into contact with him, who tells the High Evolutionary of his own past and origin. And we all know all this from the last several episodes, so we're going to skip all that, and just know that it ends with him floating in space in his cocoon. He requests that the high evolutionary send him back into outer space until he's ready to come out. The high evolutionary agrees, since he feels that him poses no threat to Project Alpha. Him is curious about Project Alpha, and the high evolutionary tells him about it. His plan is to create a new Earth, not just actually not just create a new Earth, but a better one, without what he feels is the evil instinct in humans of aggression, which he says leads to things like the abuse of power by those who have it. And the mindless revolt by those denied it. In one piece of rock from Earth, he says he can create counter-Earth on the far side of the Sun. Using his equipment, he releases the rock and increases its mass and gravity, pulling in asteroids until it is the size of the real Earth and has its own moon. Speeding up the process artificially, life forms, evolves, and dies out. Eventually, man comes. But while this is happening, the man-beast is watching the high evolutionary through hitting cameras he apparently is hidden on the ship. The strain of what he's doing causes the High Evolutionary to pass out, and the Man Beast chooses that time to board the asteroid base with his army. Killing Sir Ram, he reaches the chamber with the unconscious High Evolutionary, and apparently increases man's aggression. Counter-Earth becomes as bad, if not worse, than the real Earth. Waking up, the High Evolutionary fights the Man Beast using powers he must have kept from his time as a higher being. He isn't able to take on the entire army himself, however, and is overpowered by their numbers. Angered by this, him makes a decision and emerges from his cocoon. Not only that, but he now is on more clothing than just a speedo. He now wears a red tunic with a yellow lightning bolt on his chest, and golden boots and armbands. He attacks, and the man beasts in his army retreat to counter-earth. Feeling that his work has been corrupted beyond repair, the High Evolutionary is ready to destroy it but is stopped by him. Him feels that he has judged mankind too quickly, and while he saw all the negative qualities the man-beast brought out in them, he saw sparks of goodness as well. He wants to go down to counter-earth and save them from the man-beast. The High Evolutionary agrees, not wanting to destroy his creation so quickly, and feels he has found someone who could have been like a son to him, and shared his travels only to lose him so quickly. Before sending him down, the High Evolutionary gives him an emerald, which we will later know as a soul gem, to assist him. The issue ends with him traveling to Earth and the High Evolutionary's words. You could have lived forever, a creature apart, drifting silent through the seas of space. Yet now you'll walk the Earth, a target for the murderous man-beast, perhaps for humankind as well. For, uncanny your sacred mission, unearthly your weirding powers, and beholding them, Men shall call you Warlock. So, okay, that was uh, Marvel Premier One. And uh, quite a landmark
1: issue, interestingly. Um, You wouldn't have thought it at the time, but it really does set up so much of basically the 70s. Yes. Like, so much of what happened in Marvel in the 1970s sort of spins out of stuff that gets set up here. Um, And it's interesting because it really was my first exposure... In any sizable way to the high evolutionary. Oh, okay. Um, and previously I had, I never read, I, I was I was collecting my first youthful tranche of collecting. Uh, I remember the Evolutionary War storyline yes. that ran through all the Marvel annuals in, I think it was 1988? 87 or 88?
0: 87 or 88. 87 or 88. I think it was 88, because I think 89 is Atlantis Attacks. Atlantis Attacks. I think it was the year before. This was, this was the year before. Right. So, um, I had... Now, I'd never
1: read... I uh, Although I'd collected those issues, you know, I was confused by it. It was actually shortly before I gave up comic collecting the first time. And I bet you some of the, like, sort of intimidating, ec- ec- over intricacy of that sort of crossover event might have been what sort of put me off the first. Well the fact time. also
0: it doesn't there's no order. They don't give they don't tell you right. part one, part two. Whether... The only
1: way you could tell was from the backup feature. Yes. And that I did oh, read. Oh well, the backups were awesome. The right. whole
0: history of the whole
1: history. Which I read before I'd read any of his initial appearances in the uh uh, uh Thor, any of his initial appearances anywhere. So now I have some sort of general sense of I thought he was a villain.
0: Not so much. Yeah, he's Um, not exactly a good guy either. He's kind of a...
1: He's sort of a a dispassionate sort of deity almost.
0: Yeah, he's like a gray figure because sometimes he can be a bad guy. Sometimes he kind of comes off as a good guy. Right, exactly. And especially
1: here in uh, Marvel premiere number one, Um, I was about to call it Adam Warlock, number one.
0: No. No. Um, I haven't called Adam Warlock yet until the last panel. So so he goes
1: through the whole, like, you know, we get a lot of flashback uh, material for both the High Evolutionary and for Adam
0: himself. Oh, this is a very flashback-heavy issue.
1: Um, We get the whole, well, initially I was doing this, and uh, genetic engineering, and evolving creatures, and then I created the Man Beast, and, you know, then Thor came, and then the Hulk came, and blah, blah, blah. And then I evolved into a higher being... But then that spark of humanity in me... Uh, uh, I was bored. I was bored. Now, so let me say, now that that because there was a lot of sort of supplemental material that I never read, so just real quick, yes or no, um, we saw that uh, Hull evolved into the higher state of being thing for the High Evolutionary in the pages of Incredible Hulk pre- prior. Yeah,
0: actually it was... Yeah. Uh, Tales of... Tales S- to, to Astonish, but Tales yeah, it was Astonish. the Hulk.
1: Right. S- the Hulk and strip. then... So, but then this is all the rest of it—the whole I got bored, and uh, the spark of humanity was unsatisfied, so I'm I came back into my armor. That's just in between. So this we is the first time it. we've seen him since then. Yeah. Okay.
0: So because I was looking, I, I looked up. Remember, I haven't had ch- I remember looking up. I haven't had a chance to read them yet. But I was looking up to see where he appeared between Thor uh, 135 mm-hmm. and here, and it was only like I believe those three issues of Hulk. Okay.
1: So or now, Tales of and that whole evolving, and then. Coming back in the in the armor and getting reinvolved with the material world that sets up nicely the the huge uh, six hundred pound allegory in the room oh yeah uh, which we will get to in in great depth I'm sure in a moment but just the first impressions are um, basically a kind of for the first time seeing the high evolutionary in action as opposed to his flashback origin or anything like that and also I do have to say I've heard a number of people over the years. Uh, speak of Gil Kane uh, and his art in the glowingest possible terms. As good as Kirby was, as good as Ditko was, as good as other guys who were working at that time, like, say, um, Bill Everett or uh, Wally Wood or, okay. um, oh man, I'm forgetting now, the, the, the great one. Storanko, yes, but no, the great one who did Daredevil all those years.
0: Gene um, Colin. Gene Colin. Gene Colin was amazing. Right. And Gene Colin's, Colin's t- actually, at this point, I think Gene Colin would have been working on or started on at least. Maybe just starting to, uh Tomb of Dracula. Right. Which right. is friggin' epic. And that is one of the things I would say get the Marvel Essential. Okay. Because it is perfect in black and white. It does not need Interesting. color. Interesting. Like I would never say read the black and white version of Green Lantern. <laughs> which is D C its showcase right, presents, right. instead of the Essential showcase presents traits. Because trades. Yeah. you kind of need color. Yeah. It really that. is important. But for Tomb of Dracula, it works perfectly. And since there's very little Marvel Universe crossover, you know, right. with outside characters, it's just this nice 1970s horror esque title, and and the art is is stunning. Oh my god, his art is amazing. But but I've always heard
1: Gil Kane spoken of in the highest, most glowing possible terms as just the best artist of his era the most glowing artist of his era the master of anatomy
0: this that and the other thing this is the first time I really got a chance to actually uh, read something by Gil Kane because he did a lot of DC stuff I'm not sure I can't remember he did some Marvel he does does have a run I know on Spider-Man
1: yeah and I have read that because I believe he was technically the penciler on the uh, issues of the Death of Gwen Stacy issues but he was working with John Romita both as a breakdown artist and as an embellisher so I wasn't sure exactly it was so Romita-esque that art I wasn't yeah. sure how much Gil Kane I can't remember I was remember actually I either. And I have to say His work Especially in the context Of the state Of comic book art In the early 1970s His art is very lush Very attractive So detailed And yes The anatomy is uh, Seriously detailed And like Dare I say Like a little obsessive Yeah You know
0: The only thing I didn't like Is I had a little
1: issue With his fa- Hulk face Yes, yes, because we were so used to both the Marie Severin
0: Hulk at that yes. point
1: and the Herb Trimpey Hulk at Her, that point. Herb Trimpey especially. We hadn't really gotten into the classic Sal Buscema Hulk yet. Yes. Yeah. That this Hulk looked a little different. Yeah.
0: But anyway, we're going to have um Yes, yes. I, I want to say, by the way, I'll talk about the cover real quick. Yes. I like this Bronze Age version for a while that they did, uh, this style in the Bronze Age with yeah. marble, where the cover would have this like background color. Right, it was like, a border. It, yeah, it was a whole border covering the whole, whole thing and then on the top part of it you would just have the title of the book and then like not just a cover box like cover fa like these new cover boxes where they just have like the face of the characters in there. Right. You would get like a whole
1: image like a whole little picture. Yeah, and then you have the, the, the cover image itself contained within a panel.
0: Yeah, it was like a big panel on let's say the bottom two-thirds of right. the page. Um, and now I can understand a lot of times now why they would want to do things now where you get the entire cover yeah. showing it but you know what? I like the way these things look. I thought they looked cool. They, I believe
1: they first instituted them for the 10th anniversary issues that were published, cover dated November 1971. I think that was the first month that they went to that style across the line. And I think it lasted for a good, like, Two years, maybe thereafter. Yeah.
0: It's one of the things I like about the Bronze Bronze Age Marvel because I have to say, Bronze Age Marvel is one of my favorite periods. I yeah, love yeah, me it. too. It's, so much good stuff And going so much on craziness and so much inventiveness again. And it's not. And they, yeah, they do us a lot, obviously, in the Silver Age, but now you have a bunch of people trying to be inventive. Oh, absolutely. You know, the thing about the Silver Age Marvel is, yeah, it's inventive, but it's Lee and Kirby, or Lee and Dicko for the most part, oh, yeah. being inventive. Yeah. And here it's now. Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, not uh, Steve just the, Gerber. That's what I
1: was going to say. John Buscema. These were, this was the age of, of Gerber and Englehart and, and,
2: Starlin, and all of Starlin and these
0: guys. Trying stuff and writers, artists, writer-artists. And yep.
1: enjoying chemical enhancement together, and yes. letting all of that freak out into the pages of the comics. You're right. This was the era that saw the invention of the Man Thing. Yes, um, Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. Um, the the Silver like I just said. All the good stuff that Starlin did that will get talked about in future uh, episodes of your podcast. Werewolf by Night with 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 um, with Adam Warlock and with Captain
0: Marvel. Yeah. So
1: much good stuff,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I just want to say, I love that version of the covers. And I also like who they put on the cover. They have Thor and Hulk yes. of issue one. Yes. You see them in the background, I mean, and to be fair, they're sort of in it. They're in the flashback. Yes, exactly. In. But also exactly. it's kind of cool because Thor is the last place that Adam Warlock actually had a real appearance mm-hmm. in Thor 166, I think it was. Yeah, 166 was his last appearance beforehand. Mm-hmm. And the next time, actually, Adam's going to... A cameo in Incredible Hulk. I think it's 158. He has a one-page cameo, okay, which comes out at the same time as Warlock three, I believe. And so it's the next. That's the next book he appears in besides his own. But then the next book he actually has a real guest appearance in is the Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. as like I said earlier in the intro, because Warlock gets canceled issue eight, and they right. finish off his story in Hulk. At least they gave them the opportunity to finish. They the also story. had a big thing about that in the seventies: is that they liked cr- finishing they, up stories. Yeah. Champions got to finish up their story in uh, spectacular, spectacular Sp- Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. So like they did that back then a lot. I think they finished off Spider Woman in Avengers. I think that was maybe a
1: hallmark of Roy Thomas, or perhaps also the Marvel Marv, um, Len Marv uh, and, uh, era. Actually,
0: I think it's also early eighties too, because that, that Spider Woman ended very early eighties. Yes. So I think it's yes. also partially Jim Shooter. Yeah. But, yeah, so I like the fact that actually the last pl- title he appears in and the next title he'll really appear in besides his own, those two characters are on the cover with him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was intentional at the time because they didn't know he was not going to continue on.
1: And but you're right, we do, we do get the very strange birdie face on the Hulk. And,
0: yeah, that, yeah, Gil Kane's Hulk is not the best. I do like his Warlock, though.
1: And I do have to say, tomorrow's superhero, today, that's that is a, that's dated a bit yeah perhaps
0: Well yeah i like the uh title of the strip i mean it's marvel premiere but the mm-hmm. title it's not warlock it's the power of warlock yes yes it is featuring the power of warlock yes and that actually is pretty much the title official title of his series it's not i mean it's called warlock but it's the power of i'm warlock. always i'm
1: always curious a compl- bit of a slightly off topic very briefly when when you name things do you go by the t- name on the t- on the cover or by the name in the indicia
0: Actually, I, kind of, I go both. I go both ways. <laughs> it depends on the book. Sometimes I feel like I want to call it warlock, and sometimes I want to call you know, just using this as an example. Sometimes mm-hmm. I call it something else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, when. If you want to get to the allegory, uh, that yeah. first page, the splash page of Adam... Kind of puts it right out there, doesn't it? He's laying there like he's uh, being, oh, what's the word? Crucified? Crucified yes. Yeah. Out there in space, and of course it's the 70s splash page, which means it doesn't really have anything to do with the story. Right, it's, it's sort a, of a... It's own nebulous secondary cover.
1: Sort of a movie poster for the story to come, as it yeah. were.
0: It's a background of space with Adam stretched out there, wearing only now the loincloth.
1: Right. So this is still the ham version of Warlock that we had seen in uh, Fantastic Four and Thor.
0: Even though on the cover of the issue, we actually have the Adam Warlock version wearing the Captain Marvel-esque outfit. Yes. Which actually, according to what I read, is actually supposed to be an homage to Captain Marvel from the Fort from book. Fawcett, who was not yet owned by DC at this no. point. So. Uh, they might have bought him by then, because I know they had a 70s series, mm, okay. but I don't know when that came out. Well, so this there's... is cover
1: dated April 1972, but copyright 1971, so this was probably hit the stands, what, December 71? So. Probably. Uh,
0: behind the curtain thing here, I have not recorded the synopsis yet, and I'll i <laughs> have looked up and have the cover date in that part. So. Yes. Cool. Go back to that in whatever I said there. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So, um... But But yeah, yeah. that's very, um... I guess they're putting it out there right away. This is the direction we're going with. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Definitely. Now, they were kind of... It's weird
1: because they're overt about it. And it's... Once you know it's there, it's impossible not to see. But that said, I have to say, if I had been reading this at whatever age, um, in... At the time, and hadn't heard ahead of time, that that, uh, didn't know from other sources, that that was sort of their intent. I don't know that I would have absolutely picked up on, on the Christ allegory.
0: Depending on how old I was when I, when I read it, if I hadn't heard anything about it, mm-hmm. is whether or not I would have picked it. Okay. have noticed that's that. I think after a certain point, I think if I had read that once I was in high school, if I had just picked this up out of the blue and heard nothing else about it, mm-hmm. and was in high school, I think I might have no, realized something by at least seeing the way they pictured him. Okay, that's fair. But before fair. that, I don't know if I would have. Okay.
1: Well, you know, and, and so just to get into the, the, the execution of that allegory. Um, now, full disclosure, uh, I am a, uh, active practicing Christian myself. Um, and to be fair, I, that's, that really endeared this issue to me. Now, I do not know what, if anything, was the, uh, religious, uh, background, practice, feelings or intention of Roy Thomas or Gil
0: Kane. Well, I can fill in some of that. Oh, okay. I did some research. According okay, good read, for you. <laughs> you know, of course, my, some of my research was Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. as always. But where <laughs> Roy, Thomas, Roy Thomas said, this is slowly quoting him, that he was a fan of the soundtrack for the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. And he wanted to bring some of that story to comics. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was worried about the Christ parallels, but he said, you know, if I handle it tastefully... Since I'm not really making two overs, he wasn't making two a statement, and he kind of did it on not even the real Marvel Earth, but counter-Earth, mm-hmm. he can get away with it a little bit more. Well, I would say... Um, uh, so he could do it a little differently, but that was his basis was Jesus Christ Superstar. Right, okay,
1: I can see that because it does have a very, especially, not to get uh, ahead of the proceedings here but once he crashes down to counter Earth oh, threat from right, um, they already got the synopsis so they know what happened right and and he meets up with his uh you know uh, very uh hippie-esque sort of followers oh, yeah. there it definitely takes on a lot of that sparkly hippie
0: 70s rock opera vibe yes um but which makes case, sense now based on his word I mean what Thompson's plan
1: insofar well, as the religious allegory here in Marvel premiere number one I have to say it's a fascinating and actually very well told... Like, if you wanted to sort of use this as a sort of slightly educational or alternatively like look at the the christian or or traditional judeo christian creation myth it's genius because you have um the high evolutionary who is clearly the the, the father the gu- figure yeah, the god, god the fi- father the god figure or here. god the parent i should say um and uh created the earth in 7 minutes yeah created <laughs> the yeah created the earth in a very short amount of time you yeah. know um, and, but also, and this is where it got really good for me and why I, it really endeared itself to me was it ascribed to, uh, the high evolutionary motives that to me were very, uh, um, applicable to my view, theological view. Okay. Just again, uh, as I said, we'll get we'll get into it slightly. Um, just my personal, uh, religious life. You have to understand is that part of how I view Christ and part of how I view, um, uh, biblical history. Um, I'm not a biblical literalist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I do view, you know, I view my view of God. God creates the world. God creates humanity. Humanity Fs things up. up. Um, so what we so, do best. Right, exactly. So God despairs and says, okay, let me set you all right. Flood not doesn't work so well. No. You can really. So he tries again. Moses, Ten Commandments. Works for a while, but really we kind of go. So he's like. Fine, once and for all, I'm going to show you all how this works. I'm coming down there myself, and I'm showing you yes, how this I'm works. I'm fixing this crap, and that's and that is the life of Christ, you know. And that's yeah. So that's my personal view of uh, the purpose and nature of of Christ as uh, as a savior and as a divine figure. Really, when you look at how it's portrayed here in Marvel Premiere Number 1, that's very parallel to the high evolutionary's attitude. The Earth that I came from, that I was born on, that I came from, was irrevocably corrupted. It was yeah, terrible. Yeah, we were
0: horrible. And actually, I know, but yeah, yeah. It was one thing I thought about was that I was impressed with War Thomas in the fact that uh, for the time period, usually when you get stuff about what you just said there, he said, those corruption stuff on my planet, usually you get one or two outlooks. Either the establishment ruined everything, or these damn kids don't know what they're doing. They're trying to break, destroy everything that's been wonderfully fixed and set up for them. And he does a thing of they, you know, his point that, that issue where he says the establishment basically was just systematically destroy, you know, make things worse and worse. And meanwhile, you have the kids here who are just rebelling against everything and not even paying attention to what's going on and just rebelling to rebel. And I'm like, wow, like he's actually giving blame equal amounts. To both sides. He was Mm -hmm. on one or the other. And I I looked it up, and Roy Thomas at the time, he was born in 1940. So he was 31, 32 when he was writing this. I have to wonder now, because... He's too old at the time to be part of the counterculture, really. Really, yeah. He was well. He was a bit of an aging hippie. I know yes, that. Yeah, but I mean, he was a bit too old to be really part of the mainstream counterculture. I think to
1: be marching on campus exactly. with the bell bottoms, he was and the a flowers little past that already.
0: Because by the time like that, really, I mean, the '60s really didn't become the '60s to like '64, '65. That's true. He was already mid twenties. Mm-hmm. He was out of school and everything, and he was actually he was working. working. You know, so he was a little. He, I mean, yes, I can see him basically being influenced by and being a marginally part of it, but it sounds to me like he probably was a little bit right past it. He was a little, you know, he was part of the. They would look at him with suspicion. Right, he was exactly. But he's not old enough to be part of the establishment, right. really. Finds himself sort of in between. And I have to wonder now was that the viewpoint just of Roy Thomas, or would that have been the average viewpoint of a lot of people? In that age there, where they 're in between they 're not the establishment, but they 're not the love peace, hippie generation either they 're right. kind of in the middle there i don 't wonder like would that is that a kind of that's a general right. viewpoint of those people where they were like yeah they 're all screwing stuff up, yeah, but you you guys are you guys are just sitting there doing drugs and up and just protesting everything either it 's like you 're both idiots, yeah, yeah, it might
1: have been actually, and that 's a good and that is a, that is a, a fair point and a fair analysis now I was born in seventy two so I have no first hand knowledge and cannot tell you. Like what the general uh, worldview of the twenty something in between or generation yeah like let's was say some
0: between time. the ages of like twenty eight and thirty five thirty six right,
1: exactly, um but I would say I just you know you're right, it's interesting how he points to the, the corruption of the world he came from, and then the world he creates gets corrupted, so he yes. sends down they go to great pains to point out how when he communes with with uh, Adam from within the cocoon. First yes. thing we name him Adam. Really? Okay. And then, yeah. you know, like, Actually, just to put too get...
0: fine a point on it. Yeah, he doesn't even get that name in this issue. No, that's right. He, this, gets... he just,
1: men shall call him.
0: Yeah. Warlock. Warlock at the very last page. Up until now, still in this whole issue, he's him. Yeah.
1: But so, but while the high evolutionary is communing with Adam from within the um, uh, cocoon, they go to great pains to point out how you know. Oh, he is he is beautiful and he is so like well advanced. He is something I would have created. He is like to w- a son to me. Yeah, ah.
0: I wish I had created this. This is the what I son. wanted.
1: But now we've got that father son relationship established, and it's like it's funny because. You know, you look, at the, you look at the creation of Counter-Earth in such a short period of time. You look at, you know, the almost instant paternalism of the high evolutionary towards Adam. So a little bit of it is sort of like brute force, sort of like, oh, oh yeah, because we said so, kind of plotting And therefore this is happening. ...to set up the allegory the way they want it set up. But then you throw in the man-beast as the Satan figure, as the, the, the fallen, you know, angel who uh, points out all of that. And also the fallen child. Right, exactly. he is
0: the man-beast's earlier creation.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, it, it really uh, works out so nicely, and it, it, it turns into not just a good um, allegorical sort of creation myth.
0: Yeah, um, which it
1: definitely is. Which it definitely is, but it does so in a way that is not ridiculously traditional, but really plays into a sort of modern, post-60s... Uh, uh, 70s science, 70s science sort of um, a spin on it that is that I found very um, compatible with my modern liberal Christian okay. worldview. So as a modern liberal progressive practicing Christian,
0: You'd I found along, this. I found this, this.
1: worked gorgeously for yeah. me
0: on a scientific level. Not at all. Not even I don't think a rock really contains the entire quote unquote you know, version of DNA. No, exactly. Dust. But let's
1: face it. <laughs> Even that was a step up because this is coming off of the 60s which Stan Lee spent the entirety of the 60s taking every scientific concept imaginable. Evolution. Evolution. Uh, magnetism Radiation Atomic uh, uh, Physics The entire And well, reducing, it Just give your powers Reducing every <laughs> single aspect of science to the purest phlebotonum Yes Imaginable So even this sort of pseudo-scientific weirdness that Thomas Still works a bit better It's still a step in the right direction Because I think he was a science teacher, actually Yeah, yeah. I know he was a teacher, but I think he was a science teacher It actually. might have been I I don't I know I forget I picked up my knowledge of Roy Thomas's uh, uh, existence sort of picks up while he's getting browbeaten and uh, uh, abused by um, uh, uh, Mort Weisinger at uh, over at DC oh, before, before, uh, Stan, before Stan poached him away.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, but oh yeah, that, the science doesn't work. But yeah, at least it's a little better. Although I do have to wonder, why did he make dinosaurs? Because you see, a dinosaur evolves, and there's like, why would you evolve dinosaurs? Well, the, the sense that I got was he was whatever he was doing to.
1: Um, foundational hunk seed of rock from the original earth was basically running the entire thing kit and caboodle, through an accelerated uh, version of the same evolutionary yeah, so whatever, developmental well, however history. However
0: he did that, that's what it called it. Would I, have I just find happened it funny. Naturally. It's like why would you do dinosaurs? But what I just love that I just
1: love that the end process of this um, uh, of, of this accelerated high evolutionary directed um, development creation evolution was these four hippie kids that we meet in at the you know uh, yes. the start of issue two. It's like, that's like, you know what? I'm going to go with it. I'm going
0: with oh, it. And just one other thing though, <laughs> wonder why he created, that I noticed he created, you notice on page 20, who he obviously they must have created as well, because they uh, exist on his
1: earth. Let me just flip to page 20 real quickly, and I'll see who uh, we are talking about here. Um, Top ah, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Not only
0: is it a Christ allegory; Jesus is actually in
1: the issue. In the issue, apparently there was a counter-earth Jesus. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Into, and and this is interesting because again, again, I don't know what sort of background they're coming from. If it's just the musical or whatever. Yes. This, this is after
0: the man beast has uh, take has a uh, commandeered the ship and is uh, and and has while the while the high evolutionary rests after his act of creation. Which going back one page, that top panel. Note where if the man, man beast and his men sneaking in with a high revolutionary sleeps and Adam Warlock looks on him yes. on the view screen. Yes. No words, no caption boxes, which is rare for that time. Rare for that era. It's just complete silence. Uh huh. I love that. It even makes it a little bit more eerie because there's just nothing. It's like all of a sudden just you hear nothing, no background music, and just walking over. So like you the bed say I eerie.
1: I say reverent because, again, I think they were both aware that they were presenting a creation myth analogy here. So even at this moment, where with the snake evil, coming in. Right, where e- sin unquote. sneaks into the garden, as it were, they're still treating it with a certain amount of respect and reverence. Mm, I didn't think of that way, but either, so I, I think see it, it, it works work either, either way. way right, yes.
0: absolutely. But yeah, I love the fact that they just did that because they don't do that back then. It was they,
1: always a panel. And then they move in to the, the 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 top panel of page twenty, as you point out where we get a a visual depiction of the crucifixion and the the um what uh the man beast's uh, little like spoken narration he he describes this as quote the ultimate transgression, yes. so even there there is a um a, a, a respect for like like saying yes the the crucifixion of the Son of God is the ultimate transgression. So even there, there is a sort of awareness of how deep and foundational this content Because he calls is. everything
0: afterwards an, a bit of an anticlimax.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm just saying it's like whereas today you know in, in, in a world that has become very understandably and I, I'm not complaining about it per se in a purely descriptive fashion a, a world and an entertainment sphere that has become extremely extremely secular I think if they were doing something like that today they would not have, they would not place that importance upon that particular yes. moment. They would not view it as the ultimate transgression. They would view it as a pivotal moment in history. I find that interesting. It's just and noteworthy, or, I should or say. Or I think they might
0: even, even if they're doing the story now, might might just cut that panel out completely it, and not possibly. have that in there. Yeah. Still have the whole allegory of everything else, just not actually show which I can see if maybe they're doing that nowadays with now today's sensibilities to say, yes, we're doing the story of Adam Warlock as mm-hmm. the Christ, you know, Messiah like figure. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to come out and uh, say that yes, we we're saying here Christ is real and therefore if you are not Christian you know, mm-hmm. We're telling you right now you're wrong, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I don't think they were trying. That wasn't Roy's really intent. I don't think back then they were saying, you're wrong. It's just that was the general mainstream view, so therefore you put it in. Right, exactly. I think nowadays they might leave it out just because they want to be able to say, we're going to tell this story. But we want to make sure that if you're Muslim or Jewish or whatever else, you can still enjoy this and just enjoy the story it is. And yeah. we're not telling you Christ was real. Right, exactly. We're telling you that your religion's wrong. Even though that wasn't his intent. No, and that I don't think that was Roy like Thomas'
1: intent. It was just, that was Because that was the worldview so, at the time. So inherent in the fabric of everything, that it was just something that you naturally yeah. included.
0: Exactly, because that's what happened. Right, as far as exactly. They, you know, as far as they were all concerned, that's what happened, that's true, that's history, so boom, put it in. Mm-hmm. Bingo, bingo. So yeah,
1: but uh, um, although now, now very quickly, I just want to veer off into the into the sort of counter-argument or the sort of opposite tack, because the fact of the matter is, as much as I did enjoy this, you know, and I, I, if I had read this at the time, I would have loved it, and as much as I'm really digging on the, the allegorical nature of all of this, sort of counter side, I do have to point out that the high evolutionary sort of meets... Um, You know, when when he first claps eyes on uh, Warlock from within the cocoon... Yeah. Puts him up on the screen, and he says... They first start chatting. And now now I give you my dramatic reading of the lines of the High Evolutionary. I've done that a couple times, so someone (laughs) else might as well. (laughs) But... An image which would blind a mortal eye. The gold-hued dream of human perfection. Features carved from some divine model. The one within is like the ultimate ultra-human new man I always desired to create. The one I would have made, the sun I never had. What the, the High Evolutionary there is, is presenting is a somewhat troubling um, Aryan ideal oh yeah like he he is describing as the ideal human a very like he's saying what makes this the ideal human is the gold hued skin the the divine model features it's like it's a very it is a very eugenic almost
0: yes, perhaps on the other hand though at least ideal he's, being presented he's not normal skinned human he's not Caucasian. No, he's that's not true he's not. Chinese or Japanese or Middle Eastern or mm-hmm. you know Asian or anything, he's gold-skinned. None of us are gold-skinned. That's fair. The well, closest we get is maybe if you get really, really tan. No, that's true. I still perceive I can see Adam what you're saying as that. presenting a Caucasian phenotype. Well, but yes, there is that, definitely. He is more of that than anything else. But at least he... But I mean, again, going with the time period and... No, right, like absolutely. There, they were using something probably that wasn't any skin... No, yeah. that exists in reality, and therefore they could say it. They, felt, they probably felt they could say that because it's not anyone... You know, no one else looks like that, so we can't say this group is what we're saying is perfect. It's, yeah, this artificial being that was created in a lab and has a skin color none of us have. And I'm completely behind
1: you. I'm just but sort yeah, of saying there, there's a certain sort of subtext there that could be read as somewhat troubling if one was in, so inclined yeah. to do so.
0: but And the, actually, I didn't think about that, but you're right. That is there a bit. And the high evolutionary is a
1: bit... I mean he's a eugenicist through and through. Let's yeah, face it. This guy a, is straight out of Mengele's Oh yeah, no he's a, he's
0: a bit of a nut at time. Too. I mean, Adam calls him noble and I'm like, "You're not really 100% certain of what the word noble means." <laughs> you
1: keep using that word.
0: I do not think it means what you, you think, think it means. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. we find out in Thor that he, you know, his first experiment in new man was taking his pet dog. Yeah, exactly. And it. I'm like, he's a
1: little bit of a maniac.
0: I, I don't know. Anyone who has a dog or a cat, do you think you could really start doing, you know, genetic experiments on your animal? And hoping, you know, well, I hope it don't die. Yeah. Or turn into
1: a ravening, you know, killer. Yeah. Well, it did, actually. Man Beast. It was,
0: but that wasn't his dog. That was that uh, was something some random that was, wolf he picked up and said, hey, I'm going to experiment on you, too. Yeah, so. But at huh. least by then he knew, for the most part, I mean, that was a mistake. But for the most part, he knew what he was doing. He'd done it dozens of times. It worked.
2: Mm-hmm, so at mm-hmm. least
0: at that point, I can, you know, I can see him experimenting something just... As far as he knew, nothing bad was going to happen. No, nothing bad could possibly happen out of this. Yeah. Uh oh. Whoops. Uh-huh. But um, yeah. No, I put him up there with uh, Superman's father, Jor El, where he says, "Oh, is that your puppy, Crypto, that my little baby son loves so much? I'm going to stick him in a rocket and send him out in space." <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it worked out well for Crypto because it saved his life. Yes. Yes. But I mean, really? I mean, just just father com- of the year.
1: Completely off topic. That's one of the things I really appreciated in the uh, in the uh, John Byrne Man of Steel reboot in '86. One of the things I really appreciated was the fact that uh, Lara had an actual problem with that. Yeah, you know, it's like she actually sat there and gave jor a hard time over sticking their baby into a rocket and shooting him off planet. Just summarily,
0: you know, it's like oh, at least that point though, when you're trying to save the baby's life, I have less issues with no, no, him. no, I right. more issues of him testing it out by taking his baby's pet go Give me that. We're sympathetic in and all that, but I'm just saying that's
1: one of the things but, that yeah. I appreciated was this troubled somebody.
0: Yeah, and I like that. So anyway, yeah. completely. But yeah, Jor-El awesome. likes sticking things in rocket. I mean, that's why we got Beppo, the super monkey, <laughs> and a couple other things. He was just he was just sticking animals in rockets and shooting them off into space. Animals so wait a minute. What you're saying is
1: that Joral was kind of a 1950s Russian. Yeah. <laughs> Joral's kind of a dick. <laughs> Jorel's kind of a dick.
0: So is the high revolutionary.
1: Yes, and so I, I have to, I'm sorry, I have to sort of, uh, I, I just sort of intended to glance over at your notes, and, and just Al has written down on his notes page 17 man beast is a dick that's the point at which man beast says oh the high evolutionary is asleep let me steal in and ruin his creation yeah I'm sorry not to steal your thunder it just made me laugh after after you pointed that out yeah (laughs) he is a dick too yeah no man beast is a dick it's like understatement of the year and how do you get cameras on the ship a fair point a fair point well apparently Man Beast could do just about anything he's Satan I mean I, I call him damn sneaky he's just yeah, damn sneaky he is just damn sneaky he is um but uh yeah no it's a, uh, it's it's I mean that's something I sort of had to look past was wow every like Man Beast can do just can basically anything he think of he can do yeah he's it's
0: strong like, he's smart and he has mind powers cause I mean I'm not really sure how the Man Beast was able to give man the aggression I mean he's a he has psychic powers mm-hmm. but I'll think his psychic power is supposed to be that powerful that he can influence you know all those we you know wherever how many people were on the earth at, at this mm-hmm. quote unquote time when they were all cavemen mm-hmm. and Gil Kane was a very happy looking caveman yes, They really a really big smiles. I love that but um and caused them to basically have this added uh, aggression which at the time you know wasn't there yet mm-hmm. you know I mean that puts him as like I think well over a professor x level of telepathy oh yeah, for sure and I don't think he is I have to assume that the High Evolutionary had whatever uh, equipment on his ship that he was going to use to make sure they didn't have the aggression mm-hmm. and use that. But it's not really very clear there. You're kind of like, how does that happen? I mean, but that's the actually, that's I think is the gist of the issue is the stuff we were talking about before, the allegory and the way the story was t- telling, they were telling that story is great. The technical stuff, which... Is more fun just to get tech? I, I mean, right now I'm just picking at just to have fun. I'm yeah, not exactly. It because I hate, cause like, oh, I can't read this as horrible. Yeah, no. It, but that it, it stuff wasn't is all. But that stuff is all the stuff that's like it's just fun to make to tease because that's the stuff that's all doesn't work. Like, how does he get a camera on the ship? Yeah. How no. does he? Why does he make dinosaurs? How does he make this Earth all of a sudden? You know, have this incredible gravity and grab on thousands of rocks to make it a planet when it, even it, you know, like. And it and took thousands of millions of years to do that? My personal
1: favorite um, is uh, page fifteen. It's the full panel of the uh, high evolutionary going through his act his 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 um act of creation. Sweat is dripping down the outside of his metal mask. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and oh, that god, that's Oh
2: god,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, and that's like <laughs> and it's like how does that work exactly? That's what the fin is, that's what the handle's for. It takes the sweat out and puts it puts ah, his out. inside the It's, so it's a drainage armor. system. Yes, because I always wondered why does he have a handle on his head? I know. What I know. Is the f- point? Fair point. Does he want to like take his stuff off and he needed like, a little carrying thing for it? Yeah. When he gets tired of having the helmet on, just
1: yeah, to just pull, how you know, and it's made of metal. So I was always just kind of wondering how he got it on and off. Anyway, you know. Yeah, but that it's a drainage system. It's a drainage system, so that's how the come. The sweat is pouring down the outside. It's it's spouting out there. We we've just solved it for him.
0: 41, 43 years after the fact. Of course, my question is: Is a drainage system for everything? I mean, if he has like a super big gulp, will uh, stuff come out of there as well?
1: Mm, that's a fair point. That's what exactly is that uh, the the exit point for? Well, okay, we're trying not to look too yes. closely into that
0: because you know, and, then we, we see we'll see all the little problems. <laughs> you know? And and just to get
1: back to the allegory, real quick.
0: Um, oh, well, the whole issue is the allegory. So, I mean, yeah. I know, I know, but I'm saying, you know,
1: as, as we analyze various other bits, yeah, and things that we drew enjoyment from, um, we we move on. It's like you know. I like I, I like so so the, the, the sort of pivotal point in the story is where oh the man beast has ruined the counter earth, you know and, he's and the high evolutionary is just like, gonna I, chuck it. Blow up. And, and and chuck it and and Adam says, No, wait, I will intercede. Again, this works very well within my understanding and my belief in the uh the Christ myth.
0: And just also on the thing for the character itself, and not the algorithm, but just the character Yeah, Adam, exactly. this is a real evolution, not just an, a change of appearance, because now he has a actual full clothing, mm-hmm. which, by the way, does that mean, I didn't realize before, so his clothes are organic? Yeah. Because uh, they they're created off his cocoon, yeah, which yeah, is exactly. created out of him, so... Ew. We're trying not to
1: get too far into that. Uh, just real quick, uh, again, a uh, slightly off-topic. Um, uh, the Empress and I and uh, Jay Marcus of the Podwitz Podcast, um, two of my cohorts, uh, they went to. Uh, we went to see Days of Future Past. I was supposed to see it yesterday, but we weren't able to over the weekend. And we got into quite a long discussion outside the theater. The three of us, started by me, about whether or not Mystique is naked.
0: Yeah, because that means her clothes. Are, because her clothes change with she's, her.
1: And she's walking around nude. And, and the empress, who's uh, my wife, for those who don't listen to the podcast, that is how I refer to my wife uh, on, the, on the air. So I'm not throwing her personal information out willy-nilly. Yes. The, uh, the empress uh, uh, says to me, you, are just, you just enjoy contemplating Jennifer Lawrence naked. And I said, yes, but. It's still a valid question. And
0: also, I think you also, (laughs) I also enjoyed uh, Rebecca Romaine naked as well. It it, it, it works both ways, you know? But yeah, I thought about that and you realize anytime someone who shapeshifts in like comics or movies, and if their clothes change with them, Mm -hmm. then that must mean that's actually part of them. As opposed to somebody who just changes and they're wearing the same clothes, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the form changes. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's a little it's like oh, I guess your clothes are organic. That's kind of a little weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, no, it's, it's... but I was like, anyway, that was just a little side. But, but, but yeah, it... it's an evolution for Adam because this is the first time he's actually doing something for somebody else. Yes, it's not just yes. you guys created me, but you're creeping me out, so I'm gonna blow you up. Yes, or. I want your woman. Yes,
1: or I, I'm, uh, I, I sense you are trying to harm me, I must defend myself. Yes. You know? You're right. It's the first act the first of time. actual altruism and, and or generosity. Or anything
0: beyond his
1: own desires and yeah. needs. And also, um, I also say, but this is also interesting because it also neatly sets up the high evolutionary says, well, now I must go back to sleep, so I'm going to send you on this mission or whatever, and I cannot help you. And again... That works into the allegory, you know, the, 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 the divine being, the creator who does not intercede in a direct or, or ongoing way in the existence of his creation. You know, he sends his son as an intermediary for a time, but also he is sort of separated. And it's like, I have, I have done what I can with this. And it's all up it is, to you now. It is up to you now. And it's like, again, I like that because this makes, the, this, makes this work. Not only does it work on the, on the face of it hey, we've been telling you this story about the high evolutionary and Adam Warlock and the man-beast and the creation of Counter-Earth, and within just that context, this works nicely. And it's like, yes, I'm buying it. On top of that, you know, there's this other layer, this allegorical layer, and it's like, wow, it really works there, it works too, it makes that level stronger as well. And it's like, really, I have to say, when all is said and done, having read a lot of Roy Thomas's stuff, I read yeah. when he picked up Fantastic Four after Stan left... When he uh, picked up uh, Avengers. I mean, he wrote the Avengers for most of the 60s, frankly. Yes, he did um, a lot of Avengers. Um, you know, I've yeah, read a good. lot of Roy Thomas. That's right, so well. he did, like, from, like, issue 40 or so on. Um, yeah. A lot of early X-Men. A lot of early X-Men. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? Some of that was good, and some of it was not so good, and some of it was, like, Cod Stanley, and some of it was, yeah. you know. But really, this might be the, the pinnacle of his work I do At not least in think, this time period the, In this time period I haven't read the stuff That he went on to I know he went on And created for DC uh, Stuff like um, All Star Squadron All Star Squadron um, Not Suicide Squad Was that him? No or, I think you know? that's John Ostrander Okay But anyway The point I'm making Is that I know he went on And did a lot of other stuff But for me If you are some, if you're wanted to point out You know The legacy of Roy Thomas Like what should In my opinion Roy Thomas be proud of Stuff This issue This single issue Right here Marvel premiere number one Wow, this is strong writing no matter which way you slice yeah. it, this is really strong comic book writing. No, and
0: I'm I'm enjoying this one it. a lot. It's just not just for a historical perspective, right, but so story wise. That's the best. Along you, with me, yeah.
1: When you go into something like when I've been when I when I realized when I was reading through the, the Lee Kirby run on Thor, and I realized that moment when you realize, wow, I'm not just enjoying this on a historical level, I'm enjoying this
0: for itself. Oh yeah, I That's actually think while well, Fantastic Four is a big, is more important for the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I actually think there is the what I read so far of the of their uh, Thor run is actually a better series. It is it's, because it's a self contained fantasy world. Yeah, it's higher. It's tighter. Things make more, yes. seem to make more sense. Yes. Sif is definitely a better character than the Invisible Woman. See here, here, and not Sif Sif just fights. Not just Sif s- isn't just ah oh, faint.
1: And and it's also, I think it had a head start, once everything moved up to Asgard, um, it had a head start on the Fantastic Four world. The Fantastic Four was very firmly rooted in the real world, yeah. which Thor is was, nice in a certain, you had visual lushness and inventiveness in Thor. is in this Thor. kind of
0: alien mythology, and I actually, after reading that, I have to go with, okay, what they did for the Thor movie they took the Kirby version. Yes, absolutely. Kirby is, yeah, Kirby's Asgard, yeah. There's swords and like, they're Vikings you know, with helmet armor and they're riding horses and they're fighting dragons. And they're making spaceships. Yes. Yes. And just every way you, know, you and turn, all that stuff. You it's a technological – like this is weird alien culture. It's kind of mixed between – like they're so technological that they can have the technology bring them backwards. And and just everywhere you turned, you were getting something else cool.
1: You were getting the trolls. You were getting the Warriors Three. You were getting Hell and Sith and 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 Carnilla and oh yeah and just Bang. everywhere you t- yeah everywhere you turned, you were getting cool new corners that all and it all tied into and so like by the by the end of the Lee Kirby run. It was like this, like, seriously, like any fantasy novel that you read today, any secondary world fantasy novel that you read, anything following in the world, in the, in the steps of J.R. Tolkien, Tolkien. Or, 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 Terry Brooks or George R.R. R. Martin. It's like this was as involved and inventive as and any of those. Immersive as any of those. Oh, yeah, no, I think that,
0: yeah, I've been saying after reading those issues of Thor, I'm like, I gotta continue on this Thor run because yeah. Thor run is epic. Plus, I wanna see, I wanna see Galactus in shorts and, in t shirt
2: and shorts. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs>
1: Uh, a signature moment, indeed. Because it's just like, what?
0: What? Why, why do I see skin? Yeah. What? Why, why is Galactus like? Is this summer Galactus? Is he? Yeah. Is he hot? You know, is it too sweaty for him? Yeah. It's like it's funny when they when they
1: tempt you it's to casual contemplate Galactus. not just Galactus, the Celestials too. It's like when they when they tempt you to contemplate the physical nature of these insanely Concepts. cosmic beings. You know, it's like. Okay, that is that a hat? Is that a head? Is that a nose? What am I looking at here? Yeah, what? what yeah, what? what is that? But anyway, you're... we've roamed far afield from uh, the world of of Adam and 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 Evie, as
0: as I'm tempted to call the high evolutionary now. <laughs> I call him the high E. High E. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, uh, yeah. but anyway, the last thing, the last point about this was that, yeah, Adam really no nobility because, yeah, High evolutionary was kind of a dick, and yes, we went off on that. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, but nah,
1: that's really. But I, I think I think I've I've pretty much exhausted the sum total of my um of my impression of my impressions of Marvel Premiere number one here. I'm kind uh, of
0: yeah, one or two. I only have one or two of the minor okay, things real quick yeah. to, from the end of the issue, anyway. So it's perfect. Yeah, the end no, it. exactly. Um, yeah, uh, I'm just curious to see what would happen if high evolutionary Adam met now.
1: Mm, now that's a fair that's a fair point because we you know we, we were talking about the is definitely about, more on the dick side than the non-dick side right now. But let's face it, Adam is is uh, he's gone through a lot. You know, yeah. Starlin put him through a lot and then you know Annihilation put him through a lot and frankly now he's a very disillusioned, cynical, one might even say angry. Character Thanks. himself,
0: but the high evolutionary so, right now is genocidal well, he's yes. trying to kill anything that's not basic human. So actually, that, my main thing is, would even try to kill Adam? When where has the high
1: like literally New the Warriors. last okay, literally the last point I saw evolutionary high evolutionary was the evolutionary war annuals of nineteen eighty eight. Ah, no. So I have not I have
0: not been aware of anything he's gotten up to since then. He is involved in something called he's involved in the first few issues of the current New Warrior series. Okay, I've. Red slash red skimmed the first mm-hmm. few issues. I've enjoyed it, but the basic premise seems to be he feels now that everything that is non baseline human mm-hmm. is causing the non advancement of the human race. Mm-hmm. Or I think there might be some other threat involved in that, but I don't know really. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to kill everything else. So if it's mutant, Atlantean, uh advanced human of some kind of powers inherent in them that's mm-hmm. not like given by something else, mm-hmm. dead. Should be he's trying to kill. Nice. So, my question is, where would Adam Warlock fit in that thing for him? Like my, I mean, it wasn't just See, viewpoints. I'm just also wondering, would the, would the High Evolutionary try and kill him? Because really, beyond the, I mean, like we said before, they don't do every issue. But we're going to call it the Roy Thomas Gil era of yeah, Adam. Yeah, yeah. He really doesn't have much. They don't really don't have much interaction anymore, from what I remember reading. So, does he still view this as his son, or is he just like eh, I for a few minutes for my son, but really now. It would be a very interesting, I'm wondering how Adam would, uh, would react himself,
1: because let's face it, um, my last, uh, uh, uh sight. My most recent uh, awareness of Adam was uh his time in the Guardians of the Galaxy uh the DNA That's Guardians really of the, the Galaxy last time run has appeared. and and he was really much more concerned he was his, he was operating and 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 thinking on an absolutely universal level cosmic level more I mean, than anything else he's worried about the fabric of space time and the the very nature of the universe so as bad as it is i'm wondering if he would view the high evolutionary's
0: genocidal tendencies as sort of beneath his notice Possibly, it depends. Or actually, I guess where Jim Starlin brings him now, because I yeah. think he's going to be in the famous annual, but uh-huh. I know he's going to be in the original graphic novel. Oh, okay, and since the annual is a lead into the graphic novel, mm-hmm. that's why I'm wondering if he's going to appear. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm just curious about that. But that's, also, that's a good that's a
1: good question.
0: Last point, real quick, is yeah. Besides the fact that the high evolutioner just chucks him the soul gem, it doesn't tell him what it is or what it does. I know you can't take thirty seconds to tell him this is what it does. Well, uh, but where uh, do he well, get I, it from? Yeah, no, that's fin- ne- I looked, and as far as I can tell, nothing's ever been told about where the High Revolutionary got that from. Now, that's
1: one of the Infinity Gems, isn't yes, it? Yes, that is okay. the soul.
0: Yeah, originally, they're all called soul, soul Gems. It's called the Soul Gem, and when mm-hmm. you see the others all peer together, they just call them the Soul Gems. Mm-hmm. It's not until... I think it's actually not until the... Uh, Infinity Quest, or Thanos Quest. Okay. That they actually get separated of, no, they're not just all soul gems, they're in the Infinity Gems, and this is what they do. So was this the first
1: time we had seen any of these gems in... This is the first appearance of anyone. Okay. Now, so here's what I'm thinking, okay, because it all happens on the last page of the story, page 27. Yeah, it's
0: like, here, kid, check. Catch. Yeah, right, the
1: High Evolutionary her. says, and <clears throat> let me put on my High Evolutionary voice again. Um... But first, I spoke of a boon—something which may protect you from the snares of the man beast, or which may not. This <laughs> emerald, blazing like a great green star upon your brow, of which you shall learn more anon. That's the la- and then move and then boom. We yeah. move on to the. Here's what I'm honestly thinking. I'm thinking that um, Roy Thomas and Gil Kane got together in 1971, said, "Hey, let's relaunch Warlock." Okay. Um, give me a design, because the last time we saw him, he looked like this. Okay, here's what he looks like now. We've added the jewel. Oh, that looks cool. What is it? We don't know yet. Okay. Um, let's get it to him somehow, and we'll worry about what it does later. Exactly. And
0: that's... Last panel. Uh, did you remember put the jewel, give him the gem somehow? Uh, yeah. Yep. What page are you on? Last page. When does he get it? This page. Draw, 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 right, draw, draw. Right. And God, we'll learn more about you know, it later. Roy. Yeah. <laughs> I literally am reading that as they haven't
1: yet, at the time that they put this pen to paper, they hadn't yet figured out what it did and in themselves. in fact, it's
0: almost an afterthought. Like, I almost yeah. wonder if maybe they just, Roy just happened to finally start getting the artwork and going, what's this gem thing? Yeah. That oh yeah, be, I forgot.
2: I put it that on that there.
0: Could Shit. Be, I mean, <laughs> a lot of the coolest things in comics have come
1: from, hey, that looks cool. What does it do? But, yes. you know, I, I'm feeling Clause that's,
0: yeah, I
1: really think that's out what's out going hand. on. That
0: was uh, Dave Cockham drawing and they said, hey, uh you didn't have the gloves on, so the claws are coming out of him. Yeah. Shouldn't the others react to this? Oh, oh yeah. Man. Yeah, okay. exactly. And that not exactly. only started the whole Wolverine has his claws and this part of him, but also his, his line for, you never told us this happened? You never asked.
1: Exactly. Which exactly. made it so easy to
0: make Wolverine now so mysterious, because he's never going to, now it sets up that he's not going to reveal stuff. He's just going to, you're going to have to ask him. Yeah, because he's, he's all taciturn he and, and a loner. And you then know? maybe he will, maybe he won't. And
1: that gives us a lot him. of wiggle room for the future, which, let's face it, you know. It took a while for the whole, he heals... You know, I think at the time that, that, that they were doing that, I think that they were still under the impression that his mutant powers were the claws and his senses. Yeah. I don't think they really worked and He up. was
0: kind of fast, but like, I don't think the healing. I think, they, I think they said something about healing fast, but not. Right. And he never. And he didn't heal as fast as he has recently until like the last 15, 20 years. And where heck. He can get a nuclear bomb and be okay. I mean, back then, he died, almost died. So Kitty Pride stabs mm-hmm. him through the heart with a sword in the Kitty Pride Wolverine miniseries, and it takes him a few months to recover. Yeah.
1: Yep, oh, uh, that was some good stuff right? I love that series,
0: But yeah, I kind of miss when Wolverine was mortal <laughs> Yeah, well,
1: yes, yes Anyway,
0: so uh, But that has nothing
1: to do with this Yeah, that has nothing to do but with yeah, this so, But the soul gem, thats I honestly was reading that and thinking Oh god, those two yeah. have no idea what that no, thing no idea. Yet. <laughs> Or no idea what they said in motion <laughs> Right, exactly
0: But it's just interesting to notice that he just kind of gets flipped at the last page And also it's never been said before. I wonder if anyone, Maybe Starlin at some point. I wonder if anyone's ever going to do a story of where that comes from. Like, I mean, not the gem origins of the gem itself, but just how the higher evolutionary got it to give to Adam. That's possi- That's a
1: possibility. This does seem like the kind of story... Like, there are a number of stories that have been retold in, in Marvel over the years. Like, we've gotten you know, retellings of Iron Man's origin um, and retellings of, uh, uh, like, various other... Milestone events They've gotten revisited And retold This would be one yeah.
0: I could see I could see this or, being Or at least like I said a, Maybe a new meeting Because I would like to see Considering where both characters are now Yeah And how they were viewing each other here hmm How they would Interact now You know How I, that would happen I would love well. to see that happen
1: Hey Uh Starlin Marvel, Yeah Are you listening? Not just Not That'd just Starlin awesome. The lot of you uh, Alonzo And uh, Fine And Buckley Get on that Would you? Yes Because we know
0: you're all listening, right? Yeah, exactly. In my fantasy.
2: (laughs) In a world where televised stories reign supreme... The way I see it, if it didn't happen on TV, it just didn't happen. Two men strive to show that there is more to Doctor Who... The new adventures? Uh Uh-uh, those don't count. Then just what you see on the television. Doctor Who did not go off TV in 1989 just to magically reappear in 2005. Today's show owes its very existence to these novels and audios. Watch out, continuity sticklers. There's a storm coming. The books made the wilderness years a little more bearable. Josh Wilson. I'm telling you right now, the new adventures are the epitome of Doctor Who, in my opinion. And Ashley Rayburn. The original actors and news stories. Nothing could beat that in 1999. Are The Oncoming Storm, a Doctor Who spin-off media podcast. Coming February 16th, 2012.
0: For those of you who would like to be able to read this issue, it has been reprinted a few places if you don't want to just find a copy of the original. Uh, You can get a copy of Annihilation Classic, either the hardcover or trade paperback. The Essential Warlock Volume 1. Marvel Masterworks Adam Warlock Volume 1. Marvel Visionaries Gil Kane trade paperback Volume 1. And also you can get it digitally from the Marvel Digital's Comic Unlimited website or app. And now it's time for Adam's Friends, where we're going to check on the books that Adam Warlock, or I guess still at this point, him, have appeared in before, and see what issues they're up to now. Well, not now, now. Now as when Marvel Premiere came out. So as of right now, it's only been so far Fantastic Four and Thor, and let's see what the Fantastic Four have been up to.
1: Fantastic Four, number 121, The Mysterious Mind-Blowing Secret of Gabriel, written by Stan Lee, art by John Buscema. The Fantastic Four assault Gabriel in hopes of returning Earth to order. As the battle reaches its
0: climax, Gabriel's master is revealed. Thor 198, and Odin Dies, by Jerry Conway and John Buscema. Thor continues the Battle of the Mangog, but cannot gain the upper hand. Volsdag is sent to deliver the Mystic Waters to the Vizier in order for Odin's plan to be fulfilled. Okay, so right now we're going over Adam's powers, mm-hmm. because Adam's powers seem to be a bit nebulous. They jump around a lot in every, not just every incarnation, but even issues. He doesn't have a set set of powers.
1: It's, it's true, and it's, every time someone reinvents him,
0: they, they reinvent the powers. power set. It's set. not like the thing where you have a new creative team on the thing, and oh, now the thing has antennas that shoot out laser beams. No, the thing is strong and well, and vulnerable. Except for the ultimate thing. Oh, he, yeah. he goes all purple power man kind oh, of yeah. thing. But yeah, but, but I'm talking. But, no, but even him, though, doing. still has a set thing. You no, know? you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Or Invisible Woman. She, she turns invisible and has force fields and stuff like that. She yeah. She exactly. doesn't, you know. Spider Man. Yeah, she does yeah. have a spider sense. Yeah. So,
1: but, um, yeah, because it's funny, because when you asked me this question, you know, what well, about his powers? I went, again, I went to the more, you know, the only post, at this time, my only post uh, Thomas and Kane uh, exposure to. Uh, Adam, which is the DNA uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And, I mean, they don't even try there. They just say, cosmic being, higher-level energy manipulation. Which really, that just encompasses it, just about anything that they want him to do. Because
0: it covers everything. I have a list here of all the powers he's had in each life. Which, so far, I mean, he's really had like three or four lives already. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he had he existed before he went his cocoon the first time, only you see him flash back in FF. Right. And then there's powers he has in that first cocoon which is almost the most powerful version of him actually. Right, right, right. When Alicia first meets him in FF and then he has that life and then he dies and goes in a cocoon Uh comes back in Thor Uh gets his ass handed to him by Thor Right. goes in and now he's come back out now in Marvel Premiere Uh And yeah, most of that stuff actually could be covered under energy manipulation. Yeah,
1: well, he's strong. He's super strong. That yes. can be covered. That's generally covered. That's for the most part. He's he's
0: he's damage resistance again. Some somewhat invulnerable. I mean, like. A, The last time he appeared, he gets punched by Thor and he gets hit by, you know, Mjolnir gets chucked at him and he's okay. Yeah, no, yeah. If
1: you survive getting hit by Mjolnir, you are uh, superhuman. You're at least semi-invulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Because if you or I got hit by Mjolnir, every bone in our bodies would be shed. We would be pulped instantly.
0: A power that we only see really in the Thor issue, but... Seems to be also prevalent, which can go for any manipulation, is that he's able to survive in space. He doesn't seem to need to breathe Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. he's able to go, not just flight, but he can go into space and be fine. Right. So, yeah, it's it's weird. In a way, he's almost like Superman, powers wise. Yeah, and the the, the physical wise, and the fact that really he's really hard to hurt, Mm -hmm. he's pretty strong, and he He can can go into space. space. He can
1: project various forms of energy, he can receive various forms of energy. So, much like Superman has his telescopic or X ray vision, you know, he can. He can receive and, and, and put out most... So, it's, so really, it's... A, he, he really he can
0: does do more of p- energy than Superman can. Superman's energy really is in the form of the heat, you know, laser beams or X-ray vision. Right. Or super. But breath. I'm saying he's putting out and taking in. Yes, that's true. You know? But he can do things
1: like force... Adam can do things like force fields. I mean, it's really kind of a, Again, to use the great word, it's, it's, he's really kind of phlebotonum-powered. Like, yeah. pretty much whatever power the story needs him to manifest... He has, and in, th- in the other direction, it seems to me like that can also give them whatever weaknesses they need him to have exactly. for purposes of the story.
0: Because, obviously, he's not as powerful as Thor because Thor kicks the crap out of exactly. him. Saw. Exactly. Um, or asteroids because he almost dies. You see in the flashback in Thor between his appearance in Fantastic Four and Thor that he almost gets his ass handed to him by a bunch of asteroids. Oh, nice. Okay. Thanks to the Watcher not interfering mm-hmm. and leaving a trap for asteroids, we can study them. And then his way of not interfering when Adam goes into his cocoon is to go, "Oh, well, he was leaving Earth and got stuck in my trap. I'm going to send him back to Earth. So that's not interfering at all." Which leads us to the conclusion: the Watcher is a dick. Oh
1: God, yeah. And really, I think you're going to have to kind of come up with a dick roster for this series. I might have the, to resur- that. the resurrection's dick roster. Like who's who is now who? Like how many people have been labeled a dick by the Resurrections Adam Warlock podcast? Pretty right. much everybody in the Marvel universe except except the Parker family. I'm thinking. Well, let's see. Odin. Yes, Odin is a dick. Um, High Evolutionary. High Evolutionary is a dick. Man uh, Beast. Man Beast is a th- tremendous dick.
0: And the Watcher, the Watcher is a dick. The Watcher is a dick.
1: Okay, so that brings the dick count to four. Dang.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but I like what you said, actually. I never thought about that. I'm looking at these different powers that he's done. Matter creation and control, uh, voice projection, flight, force fields, and like different, different incarnations. I'm viewing them as different things. But going what you said about energy manipulation, higher energy manipulation, higher level energy manipulation—that kind of covers everything, and it actually brings it all together. and makes more sense now of what he can do. I mean, yes, it's still them going. He need need, need him to do this, so he does this, right? But by saying that, you kind of put an umbrella over it where it
1: does fit. Kudos, kudos to Abnett and Lanning, DNA. Um, you know, they they, they use that in the Guardians of the Galaxy when they're doing the sort of like little debrief talking head bits. Um, that's how they. Uh, uh, you know, and they say, Adam Warlock, cosmic being, higher level energy manipulation. And I mean, that, kudos to them for, for coming up with a single four-word phrase that both covers everything he can do and gives them plenty of wiggle
2: room to, for, to, things to, 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 to not do things, things. or yeah.
0: to be weak. Bingo. I like that. That's good. That works.
2: While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches thieves, just like flies. Look out, here comes a Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, the Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Reilly should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics. At Amazing Spider Man. I want to
0: take a moment here to thank all of you for downloading and listening to these episodes. Uh, just to let you know, I use Podbean to host the episodes and put it up on iTunes. And Podbean allows you to check out things like uh, how many people have downloaded from your feed, and also uh, even where some of them are downloading from. And first of all, I'm getting a lot more downloads than I really expected to get, so thank you. I, mean, I would be doing the show just for the hell of it. So even if the only other person downloading this was me and my brother, I still will be doing it. But it's really cool that all of you are listening. And also, like I said, it gives you a chance. They actually have a little map. Um, we can see where downloads are coming from. I mean, I don't know who you are, but I know you're downloading. And it's kind of amazing what place on the map that I see these little dots are showing where people are listening. So I just want to take time each episode from now on to kind of give thanks to at least not who you are, but where you are. You know where you are, so you know it's you. So, first one I want to give today is uh, apparently I have people listening in Istanbul, Turkey which is just mind-boggling. I mean, I'm here on the East Coast of the United States and I was really expecting much more out of the country. I'd be ama- I'm amazed if I have anyone in California, which I do, but we'll get to them at another point. But, Istanbul, Turkey? That's pretty cool. So, thank you. I want to give thanks to a couple websites that helped me out with my research for this episode. DB, Complete Marvel Reading Order, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and, well, since I did take something from there, Wikipedia. So thank you to all those sites for their help. Uh, links to those sites, as well as other things mentioned, like Brian's podcast, Pot, The Podwits, and the shows that we did promos for, will links to them can be found on the Tumblr note for this episode. All right, well, that brings us to the end of another episode of uh, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know I did. Well, thank you. I'm glad to have you on. I'm no. definitely planning on having you on again at some point.
1: It was fun to be here, and I look forward to the next time I get to uh, come and share my thoughts on the golden-skinned one.
0: So if any of you have thoughts on this issue that you, or this episode that you'd like to share, you could send an email at Podcast at yahoo.com. I currently don't have any new emails, but that's okay. Like I said in the last episode, I have an email. I've received an email on March 13th and April 13th. We missed <laughs> June, We missed May, but come on, June 13th. You want to send an email? Send it then. In case you're getting this off iTunes, if you want, you can follow me on Tumblr, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. And Brian, where can they find you on the internet? I work on the
1: Podwits podcast, which is available at podwits.com. It's free. And also, Al and I do the monthly Four Color Fanboys podcast about all things comic book related. That's available at fourcolor.podwits.com and it is also free. Um, those are both available on iTunes as well, Podroid, uh, You can find the Podwits on Facebook and Twitter as well at Podwits. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're all over the damn place. You're all over the net. <laughs> you internet of whores. And now I've guested on the—this is actually my first guest-starring gig, so thank you, oh, Al, cool. for giving me a chance to, to break out of my pod-witty shell. And it's my first guest star. Yeah, there you That's go. Cool.
0: All right, well, definitely we'll have you back at some point. Thank you. You know, got why I was willing. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Significant others willing to let us go. So I hope you all enjoyed this, and I will be back on the—on or about June 16th with Episode 9, where we're going to cover Marvel Premiere 2, and I just might have another guest star. So we'll see. See you all then. Take care. Bye. I didn't realize Brian and I were recording this, but while I don't have any emails, I actually have received an iTunes review. Uh, This review came on May 21st by Doomseeker. He gave me five stars. That's awesome. And he titles it, Huzzah! And writes, you can never have too much Marvel cosmic goodness. Doomseeker, you are very right, And thank you. So anyone else wants to give a review, go right ahead. I am more than fine with that. Although I would prefer if it's a good one. Resurrections, and Adam Warlock podcast, is a fan-made production, and I make no claims of ownership or copyright over Marvel Premier, The Hulk, my Thor, Adam Warlock, or anything else that mentioned in this episode. Most of those are all owned by Marvel Comics, which is owned by the Walt Disney Corporation. I believe we mentioned jor at some point. jor is a character owned by DC Comics, which is owned by Warner Brothers. I make no claim of copyright on that or ownership over that as well.
1: that and that. Oh, yeah, the Spider-Verse stuff. That's pretty yeah. cool.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah, just read what it says for, I guess, Fantastic Four. You want to do that one? Yeah. So and just read it? Yeah, just read that because I'll do the opening part later. In like Monday Fantastic
1: 4. Four. Fantastic Four, number 121, The Mysterious, Mind-Blowing Secret of Gabriel. Written by Stan Lee, art by John Basema. The Fantastic Four assault Gabriel in hopes of returning Earth to order. Returning. Um, I'll start again uh, that I didn't earth realize order?
0: It, like, I, think, I just copied it so I think they made a mistake okay. on the website too
1: I'll, I'll start reading it
0: again but something like that along those lines returning okay. order um, I'll yeah just I guess returning earth to order you know what Let me. I've always noticed this is a smart thing to do for myself when I realize I've done that is just delete mm-hmm. the issue because otherwise I will make the mistake again at least I okay. will so. however even his loyal new men eventually turned against a high woo oh uh, god